I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to the second book in the uh, Old Testament scriptures, the book of Exodus. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, When God Interrupts a Man's Life. Verse 1, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with butamon and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Then over in chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have already seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Father, as we read the scripture, we see on the pages of the word of God that you've always called men to be about your business. You could do the work yourself, but you call us. Father, this Father's Day, I I pray that dads would remember that chiefly in our life, We have your claim and call upon us. And I pray, God, that we would set aside our agenda to follow your agenda. To keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you. Because, God, that's truly the only way to live a life of significance. We thank you for the life of Moses and the lessons that we learn here. And we remember that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You're still moving in the hearts of men and calling us to be about your task. Father, as we look around the world today, we see that there are needs that are abounding. And I pray that these would be days that men of God would be courageous, that we would walk by faith not by sight. Father, we pray that we would surrender all that we have for your use and your service. 
Lord, help us to lead our families, our churches, our communities to be the salt and light you've commissioned us to be. All for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When God interrupts a man's life, it was Father's Day, 1997. According to an article the next week in the Chicago Tribune, Ricardo Enamorado set out on a jet ski from Chicago's Wilson Avenue boat ramp and headed north along the shoreline of Lake Michigan. After traveling a number of miles north at about 3 p.m., Ricardo decided it was time to turn the jet ski around and return back to the boat ramp and head home. But suddenly, as he reports, the jet ski, the engine lost power and died. Ricardo floated along with no worries in the world. After all, this was the Chicago area. It was Father's Day. A very busy day out on Lake Michigan. Surely someone would soon come along and he could get their attention. But no one came. By dark, Ricardo said he had become frantic. He ended up spending a chilly night alone on Lake Michigan, seated upon a jet ski. But surely the next day will be better, he thought. But during the night, winds pushed him further and further away from land and away from anybody's sight. Coast Guard helicopters and the Chicago Fire Department searched all day in vain for him. Ricardo spent another night alone on Lake Michigan. He was cold, hungry, thirsty, badly sunburned. Finally, during day two of the search, one of the search and rescue teams finally found Ricardo. His two-day ordeal was over. Folks, a loss of power can be more dangerous than we realize. This morning, I want us to look at the life of a man in the Old Testament who has almost become synonymous with the Old Testament narrative. His name, of course, is Moses, and he is a man who learned in his life the importance of relying upon God's power. He saw what can happen in a person's life when they trust in God's power. Now, without a doubt, along with Abraham and King David, Moses is perhaps the most famous Old Testament character. You don't get much higher on the food chain than Moses. Now while there was only one Moses, of course, I want us to see principles in his life that still apply to people today. He was a man whom God changed and God transformed his history forevermore. Moses learned that there was something much bigger at work in the world than his own agenda. Sometimes men start thinking that the most important thing going on at any given time is whatever they happen to have on their plate. Family, church, friends, everything for that matter can be put on hold while they set about to accomplish their agenda. But you know, Moses learned that ultimately his agenda meant absolutely nothing. It's only God's agenda that matters. First of all, this morning from chapter 2 and into chapter 3, I want you to notice that God appoints Moses. And what we'll learn here is that while men are busy living life, God is preparing servants. Folks, we need to remember that God is at work in this world. Jesus in John 5, 17 said to his disciples, My Father is at work to this very hour and I too am working. God is at work in this world and men need to see that today there is nothing more important than what God is up to on planet earth. 
We see that God has been working all along in human history. I think of those days back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 12 when God called a man, a man by the name of Abram whom he changed his name to Abraham. God called him out of the land of the Chaldeans and said, Abram, I want you to go to a new land because I'm going to build a nation through you. We know that God uh, built the Hebrew nation through Abram and his descendants. And God had a purpose in their lives. They were to be a shining light to the nations around them. They were to be a witness. And indeed, this was the task that God called them to. We see in the book of Exodus as, as uh, Abram's descendants and Joseph have gone into Egypt and God's used them in mighty ways to save even the Egyptians from a time of famine. Even the Egyptians have seen the power of God at work. But chapter 1 of Exodus verse 8 sets us up to the fact that the scene is now about to change. Because a new Pharaoh has come to the throne, a Pharaoh who the Bible says did not know Joseph. And so we're clued into the fact that something drastic is about to happen for God's people. And we know what that is. They're going to be slaves to the Egyptians. They're going to be in bondage and God's going to deliver them out of that bondage. In chapter 2, we see that God was at work preparing for their deliverance. He was preserving the life of His servant. Folks, it's amazing how God works. There's no disconnect between chapter 3 of the book of Exodus. And then if we were to back up and read chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Exodus, they all tie together. The Hebrews were groaning. The Egyptians had them under hard labor. They were suffering. They were enslaved. And they were groaning. In the midst of their groaning, they cried out to God. And the Bible says that God took notice of their bondage. God began doing something about it. In fact, God was already doing something about it. You see, a baby was born. A baby was protected. The baby was raised in Pharaoh's household. God prepared him uniquely as a bridge between the Hebrews and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh. You see, while Moses was a Hebrew by blood, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. And in Pharaoh's house, he learned the Egyptian culture, the Egyptian language and leadership. And yet at the same time, he never lost connection to his own people. When Moses tried to take matters into his own hands, he had to flee. But in the wilderness, he was taught how to be a shepherd as well as how to live in the wilderness. And so there was even a purpose in that. I want you to think about all those ingredients. A Hebrew. A member of Pharaoh's household. A shepherd. A wilderness survivor. Folks, when you put all those ingredients together, you see how well God was preparing Moses. There was nothing about Moses' life that ended up being an accident. And so what this means is that while Moses was busy living his life, God was behind the scenes preparing his servant. Man, I want you to think about your life. Think about your experiences growing up. Think about your education. Think about your plans. How has God equipped you to serve Him? Don't think, well, I have nothing to offer. Has God ever led you to do something and you look back and you see years later, it all comes into clear focus how God has been preparing you all along for what God was going to call you to do. Again, that's exactly what he did with Moses. Moses in chapter 3 verse 1 was about his business and he didn't even realize what was about to transpire. God had saved Moses and worked in Moses' life for a divine purpose that, that was bigger than anything Moses could have done on his own. 
Secondly, I want you to see that God appears to Moses. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. God appears to Moses. God calls men when he's ready to act, when he's ready to do something in the world. You know, God could do it a lot better by himself, or God could call angels. But you know what God does? He calls men. I want you to think about this, dads. We come to church and we study the heroes of the Bible. Who were these heroes of the Bible? They were men who got right in the middle of what God was up to in the world. They were men who were not simply thinking about their own careers. These were men who found themselves in the middle of God's work. And as a result of that, they led lives of tremendous impact and significance. A lot of men today are entertaining themselves to death or they're striving to make a name for themselves and in the midst of it all, they're never truly satisfied. Dads, the key to life is knowing that you're in the middle of what God wants. You see, when we live life that way, it has a way of shaping everything and transforming everything. For instance, I think of Daniel in the book of Daniel. Here Daniel is, his whole country, the, 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 uh, the country of Judah, they were overrun by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and they were carted off to the land of the Chaldeans to be in exile there for 70 years. Now scholars believe that Daniel was perhaps only 15 or 16 years old. And when Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and his friends, he turned Daniel into a eunuch and he put him to work there in the king's court. Now what would have happened if Daniel would have only been thinking about Daniel? He would have been miserable. Because Daniel would have had a pity party and started thinking, you know what, I'm never going to grow up in my home country. I'm never going to marry a a Hebrew girl. I'm never going to be a family man and have children. All of that part of my life is now past. But you know what, Daniel saw the finger of God at work in Hebrew history. And chapter 1 of the book of Daniel says, Daniel consecrated himself to God's purposes. And as a result of that, God used him in phenomenal ways for the next 70 years. You see, had Daniel focused in on Daniel, he would have missed it. But Daniel focused in on God and he discovered life. He didn't miss life. He found life. There are dads that are focused in on themselves. And I would say to you that you're in danger of missing life. You need to focus on God and discover life. You say, well, how do I do that? Simply focus in on God and your relationship to Him. And whatever God has for you is going to come clearly into focus. I can't tell you where God's going to have you. I don't know. But if you focus in on God, where He wants you to be will become apparent to you. I think of Noah, for instance. Noah focused in on God. And what did God have Noah do? He had Noah become the builder of an ark. Abraham focused in on God. And he had Abraham become the father of a new nation. He had King David focus in uh, on him. And King David became the most beloved king in all of Israel's history. The apostle Paul focused in on God. And he became the greatest missionary and church planner the world has ever seen. God calls men when he's ready to do something. And men, what we need to do is focus in on God and put ourselves in that position that our eyes are on him. Every day we need to be developing that relationship with God. Because it is out of that relationship with God that God is going to call you and God is going to make known to you what your life's work is to be. 
But you've got to focus in on the relationship. You've got to keep your sight set on God and His glory. You've got to have the right priorities. And God is the right priority. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything else will then be added unto you. You say, but Scott, what if I miss God's call? What if I do all that and I miss God's call? You won't. God's a pro at this. He's been calling men for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He knows where you live. He knows your name. He knows your address. He knows what you're up to. God knows exactly where you are. And out of that relationship with Him, when you put a priority upon Him, God knows exactly how to invite you into His activity. Amen? We don't need to worry about God being able to do that. God can even call a rebel in the midst of his rebellion. And we see him doing that even in scripture. But how much better for us dads that we live surrendered lives. And day by day we're developing that sensitivity to hearing God's voice. God appoints Moses. God appears to Moses. Thirdly, I want you to notice God assures Moses. Let's read a big chunk of scripture here beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I? And what I I want you to see in in this portion of the narrative is how God answers every objection, every hindrance, every doubt that Moses has and brings assurance into his life. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the land, uh, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You almost expect to read there the termites, don't you? A land flow to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold... They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. 
If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the later sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. Again, what is God doing through this whole section of the narrative? He's assuring Moses. And so because God assures Moses and answers every single objection that Moses had, men, what do we learn from this? We learn that you and I need to quit making excuses in our lives. God is more than able. Moses doubts himself in verse 11. Moses looked at his life and he didn't feel adequate. After all, who in the world could ever be adequate to be God's spokesperson? Who could ever be adequate to be a servant of God and to be an ambassador for Christ? Nobody in their own strength or power. And so Moses is thinking about all this and he begins asking God this series of questions and this series of questions uh, reflects the, the deep struggle he has going on without, within, within his own heart. Question number one, verse 11. He, he says there in verse 11, who am I that I should be the one to go to Pharaoh? Moses had good reason to doubt whether he was the right man for the job. Because remember, Pharaoh had wanted to kill Moses. His picture was in every post office in Egypt on the most wanted list. He was a marked man. Plus he felt inadequate. After all, in his mind, all he had been doing was tending sheep. And so his question to God was, God, who am I? Now folks, don't misunderstand this question. Moses is not having an identity crisis. I have a feeling that if you've been alone on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, you've had plenty of time to get in touch with yourself. Moses' question instead is focusing in on his personal identity and the sense of his adequacy. In other words, God, I'm not sure I have what it takes. Are you sure I'm the right one for the job? I think somebody else would be a whole lot better. Maybe Moses felt like he'd given it his best shot 40 years earlier. When he'd kill that Egyptian. But remember uh, what he was doing then. He was trying to deliver Israel in his own strength. He was trying to carry out his own agenda. And what he was doing was getting ahead of God. We do that a lot of times, don't we? We run ahead of God. And so maybe Moses is feeling like, God, I was a failure then. I'll just be a failure again. That was Moses. He saw only the barriers. And too often times, you and I do the same. We see the dangers. We see the barriers. We see the hindrances. And we make up excuses. What if? What if? What if? Or maybe I can't do that. Churches will even do the same. I think of a, a, of a group of people in the Old Testament, the ten spies who looked and said, you know what, there's too many giants in the land. We can't do it. 
Men, I want you to think about what's going on here. Moses saw himself up against Pharaoh. The Pharaoh in Egyptian life was seen as being like a god, a little g, a god. The Pharaoh was revered in Egyptian life. And and here Moses is, he's just a shepherd. And to top it off, the Egyptians despised shepherds. And so Moses is thinking of all this scenario in his mind. And he's thinking, God, who am I that I should be the one to go? And what was God's response to that first question? He said, Moses, I will be with you. Men, isn't that great? Whatever God calls you to, whatever God calls me to, the number one thing we need to see is that God's presence is right there with us. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will send another, the Holy Spirit, and He'll be your comforter and your teacher and your helper. Men, the biggest mistake we can make is if we think we're supposed to go out and do God's assignments in our own strength and we need to understand that that we need to keep our eyes on God. It's only His presence with us and only His power that's going to make the difference. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission to the church? He said, and lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember what God said to Joshua. Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. And so the feelings of inadequacy, the God, I'm not sure I can serve you. I'm not sure I can do that assignment. It's too big for me. I'm not the right man for the job. I've tried things like that in the past. It's not worked out. We need to understand that whatever God assigns us to do, we need to put a priority first and foremost on doing it in His strength, knowing that He's with us. Dad's God is with you as you keep your eyes on Him and surrender to Him and serve Him. In your family, in your work, in your church, in your community, you can have the blessed assurance that God is with you. You're not on your own. You're not by yourself. We have our other brothers and sisters in the Lord to pray for us and encourage us. But most of all, we have the Holy Spirit of the living God to be with us. And His power is greater than any power in this universe. And so what Moses needed to understand, rather than seeing Pharaoh up here and him way down here, Moses needed to see that with God, the balance of power was actually in his favor. Well, question number two, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What's the second question? Okay, God, you won debate number one. Okay, now here I am ready for debate number two. If I go to them and say that the God uh, uh, of Israel has sent me to them, What if they say, well, who is he? What is his name? Folks, a name was so important in Hebrew history because to know somebody's name meant that you could know something about their character and their activity. And and to know their name, if you knew their name fully, it, it could mean that you could even maybe have some type of authority over them or control over them. And so God reveals himself, his name to Moses, and he does so in a way to number one, conceal something, but number two, to reveal something. You say, what are you talking about? Well, to conceal something. He says, I am. Tell them the great I am has sent you to them. Or as the Hebrew can be translated, I will be what I will be. In other words, Moses, you're not going to be able to fully know my power. 
But number two, it was also revealing because God was saying to Moses, Moses, there's no one name that can capture all of my essence. I am the great I am. I will be what I will be. In other words, Moses, you tell them that the great God who's worked in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph's life, whom they've seen work in their whole Hebrew history, this is the God who's coming to them now, and I will be there and provide everything for them and everything for you just like I did the saints of old Moses I'm everything you need and I'm everything they need and so the stress there is on the complete adequacy of God the complete sufficiency of God up next to Moses inadequacy Isn't it interesting how in Old Testament history, every time God appeared to somebody and and, and revealed something new about himself, uh, usually they ended up giving God a new name. Genesis 22, when Abraham was up on Mount Moriah about to sacrifice Isaac, and God said, don't do it, stop. And Abraham looked around and there was a ram in the thicket. You remember what... what, uh, what uh, Abraham named that place and named God, Jehovah Jireh, which means God shall supply. A new name given to God. And so God is revealing to Moses, Moses as you go, number one, understand I'm going to be with you. You're not going by yourself. Number two, I'm going to be everything you need. Every need in your life, every inadequacy that you feel like you have, every weakness that you feel like you have, guess what? I'm going to be there and I'm going to be more than enough for the journey and more than enough for the task. Now dads, don't we need to realize that? God is more than enough to help us do what He's called us to do in the world. Amen? God is more than enough for your life. Do you realize that? God is more than enough. God is adequate. God is the sovereign God of the universe. This is not some man you have with you. This is not just a fellow servant you have with you. This is the God of the universe you have with you. And as you go through life and you lead your family and you do whatever God's called you to do in the church and in the world, you can know that God is going to supply whatever you need. He is the great I am. Remember what Jesus said about that? Describing himself. He said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the door into the sheepfold. I'm I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the all-sufficient God. You see, men, we need to start with God. We don't start with ourselves. That's what too many men are doing. They're going about their life every day and, and, and their sales, their, their own strength, their abilities is the foundation for their ministry or, or whatever God's called them to do in the world and, and they quickly find their feet pulled out from under them. God is the starting place of life and ministry. We've got to keep God first. God's presence and God's sufficiency were the first responses that God gave to Moses. Now the third question Moses asked. Look over in chapter 4 verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Now here's here's one men think about a lot. Men think, well, what if I'm not successful? What if I fall flat on my face? What if I can't get the job done? What if they'll not listen to me or believe that God has appeared to me? In other words, they've not seen the burning bush. They've not heard your voice. If I show up, they may be thinking that I've been out in the sun too long. What's God's response to that? What's in your hand? 
a staff. Throw it down. He threw it down. He picked it back up. Put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out. It's lepers. Put it in again. Comes out clean. If they won't believe these two signs, the, 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 uh, the waters of the Nile, scoop them out and I'll turn into blood. What you, you pour down out on the ground, it'll be blood. In other words, Moses, things you have right under your nose, when you relinquish them up to me and surrender them over to me, I'm going to transform you and them. Moses, you don't have to swim to the deepest part of the Mediterranean to find what I'm going to use in your hand. You don't have to climb the highest mountain to find what I'm going to use in your hand. What's in your hand right in front of your face? A staff. What's in front of your face? Your hand. When you get there, what's in front of you? The Nile, the waters of the Nile. Moses, things right around you. At your disposal. I'm going to transform those things. And that's what you're going to use. Men, what I'm saying is if we look at our life and what God has supplied us with. What we already possess. We yield those things up to God. We throw those things down at God's feet. Let Him transform. Notice where the transformation comes. It comes after the offering. We offer those things to God. We throw them at God's feet. God changes those things and He changes our hearts. We pick those things back up and we use them for for God's glory. What do we have at our disposal? Well, if you're a child of God, if you know God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was talking to a, a member just this past week in our church who said, Pastor, I knew that guy before he was saved. And now I know him now. What a difference. A changed life. You and I can serve God with a changed life. The testimony of a changed life. Remember what Jesus said to the garrison demoniac in Mark chapter 5 when he cast all those demons out of him and healed him. This man said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, I want you to go back to your village and your townspeople and tell them the great things God's done for you. Because what was the village going to see in this man? They were going to see a changed life. And they were going to see that the power of God is real. Men, a changed life. Serve God with the, out of a changed life. That's something you have at your disposal if you're saved. Because God's changed your life. And along with the changed life, what's, something, what's the second thing He's given you and I? Right in front of our nose to use for Him. A testimony. Remember what John said in 1 John? We proclaim to you the things we've seen with our own eyes, the things we've heard with our own ears, the things we've handled with our own hands. In other words, we're not preaching a gospel to you that just it's something somebody else knows about. Boy, it's something that we know about. My life before Christ, how I came to know Christ, my life now. That's something you can serve God with. And if you're a child of God, a third thing you've got, you've got a spiritual gift. You've got at least one spiritual gift with which to serve the body of Christ and to to minister out in the world. God gives us all at least one spiritual gift. Are you using that to serve Him? You've got one. Discover what it is and and develop it and deploy it. Use it for God's glory. Are you doing that? You can't say, but but that's something I don't have disposal at. Sure you do. If you're saved, you've got a gift. You've got a spiritual gift. And fourth thing, just think of all the resources God has given you in your life. Look at some of those resources through God's eyes. What could God do with some of the things you have in your life? 
things right in front of our face. You see what I'm saying? Moses needed to look at things right. God was calling him to go on a mission. And what Moses needed to see, there are things right in front of his face that God had given him. And if he would only turn those things over to God and relinquish them over to God, God would transform them. And those were the very things Moses could serve God with in the world. Men, what I'm trying to say to you, if you just look at your life, you have what you need to serve God. You have God's presence. You have God's sufficiency. And you have God's provisions. What's our excuse? We shouldn't have any excuses. And that's why as men of God in the world today, we need to get our eyes off of our own agenda, off of simply living our life. God wants us to focus in on Him and what He has for us because that's when we discover life. Men go out chasing life and they miss it. They're miserable. When they go out and start seeking God first, They find life. They find joy. They find satisfaction. They find meaning and purpose in life. It's one of the anomalies, uh, one of the paradoxes of the gospel. You don't go out and gain your life. You lose your life in what God wants you to do. And by losing your life in your relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You gain life. Amen? You die to self. You deny self. You pick up your cross, an instrument of death, and you follow Him. And as you do, you find joy and satisfaction that you never, ever, ever had before. How sad that men so oftentimes in the world today are missing it. They're chasing their own little dreams. They're so occupied in their own little hobbies, their own careers, what they're up to in life, and they're missing God's best. Men don't miss God's best. God was even going to use Moses' weaknesses. When When he turned over to, I can't speak, I'm not eloquent. He gave him Aaron, his brother. He wouldn't have to go alone. He'd have somebody to lean on. Even a strength. I mean, even a weakness, God turned into a strength. What are some lessons we learned through this this morning? Lesson number one, God walks with us. He will be with us. Number two, God is all sufficient to meet your needs. Number three, make available what you have for Him. Men, this morning I want you to see that if you'll only take an honest look at your life, I bet you'll find that God has been preparing you all of your life for some type of service. God's been preparing you all of your life. What is it? Where is He inviting you to join Him in His agenda? Look at your life through God's eyes. How has God gifted you? What are some of the passions God's put in your heart? How could God be using those? Are you willing to set aside your agenda in life for a larger agenda, for God's agenda? Again, don't miss life because you were searching for life. Search for God and then you'll find life. Are you willing to relinquish everything over to God? Throw everything down at His feet. Offer everything to God. And when you do that, God has a marvelous way of transforming us in whatever it is we relinquish over to Him. Base everything you do in life on His character, His name, His sufficiency. Let that be the foundation from which you live your life. 
And you'll discover and I'll discover that He's more than adequate to meet any need that we have. God calls men. God interrupts men's lives. That's how God works. And God calls us to a bigger agenda than our agenda could ever be. Dads, don't miss it. If you miss God's agenda, there's no way you'll be able to get to the end of your life and with the Apostle Paul be able to say, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course. You'll get to the end of your life and you'll feel like something was missing. You missed something. Don't go there. God's got a bigger agenda. Don't miss it. Would you stand please? Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens behind me. It may be this morning you want to come to this altar and say, God, you know what? I, I've been too preoccupied in my agenda. And I've been blind to a bigger agenda where you're inviting me to join you. God, redirect my focus this morning. Or maybe you want to come to the altar and say, God, you know what? I, I've been thinking only of my weakness, my inability. And I need to think in terms instead of surrendering that weakness to you so you can use it for your glory. I could be talking to some dad here this morning who hasn't even gotten into the race yet. You haven't even embarked upon the journey. You don't know Christ. Boy, now you're really about to miss it all. You're in danger of going out into an eternity without Christ. Greatest tragedy of all. I'd love to pray with you about a relationship with Christ. You come forward. But again, men, cast your weakness before Him. Cast your abilities, inabilities, whatever. Put it, lay it at His feet. Let Him transform it. Look to Him, His sufficiency, His presence with you. He'll give you a strength beyond anything you possess on, on your own. If you just develop that relationship with Him. Dads this morning, be willing to say, God, help me in that. I want you to interrupt my life. I want to be about your agenda and your work. Help me to see what's important.